Hello and welcome to Vista Talks, interesting discussions with interesting people from all around the world. I'm your host for today, Simon Hodgkins, and I'm delighted to be joined today by our very own Fiercra Sinnott. Fiercra is a Project Management Operations Director here at Vista Tech. You're very welcome, Fiercra. Thank you very much. Very glad to be here. It's great to have you here. I understand you're a tri trilingual industry leader, and I know you've got a tremendous amount of expertise when it comes to the whole world of project management at a senior level and localization, which I'm sure our listeners are going to be interested in today. So let's move on and get on to the show. Um, I want to jump straight into the discussion and ask you about this fast-paced, moving world of project management, because I think you're in at the very high level of project management. So what attracted you to it and how did you find yourself uh, doing this type of role? So, um, yes, that's a great question. Um, so just to take you back a little bit uh, in time. Um, so I started off my career in, uh, in localization in, uh, in an LQA position. So that's localization quality assurance. Um, and while I really enjoyed the job at some stage, you, I realized that you only tend to see a very small part of the whole process of localization. Now, as people may or may not be aware, localization, while being very niche, is also a very uh, detailed and complex process. And at some stage, after a few years of doing QA, I really wanted to get like the bigger picture. Um, and I also probably, with some more idealism of youth, I also wanted to make more of an impact in, in terms of uh, delivering the best uh, quality product uh, that, I could, that, I, that I could for uh, my well, internal client at the time. Um, what that, that was many moons ago. Um, and if you were to ask me, what is it that keeps me plugged in to the world of project management? I think that with project management, while you still have your ABCs, like in any industry, there is always something different. Each client is different. Each project is different. And even though at this stage of my career, I am no longer hands-on, except when I need to be, I still, I still enjoy the challenge of, uh, I would say effectively problem solving and getting the best result that we possibly can with, uh, with everything except for the kitchen sink thrown at us. Very good, thank you, Fiercra. Uh, and just to expand that a little bit, because I know your background, you've got a bit of gaming in there, you've obviously got tons of localization experience and digital goods from companies like uh, Electronic Arts. So maybe could you just share a little bit more about, about that sort of background? Yes. So I started my localization career almost by accident, uh, which sometimes happens in localization. And I, as you mentioned, I do speak languages. And at the time, I was very keen on video games. I still am, but I just don't have the time anymore. And I thought, why not try and marry uh, my obviously my, my professional uh, growth and needs with my hobby and my passion. And I was very lucky enough to start off in uh, what is now Activision Dublin, but back then it was called something else and in East Point. And they were very uh, generous and they took me in. And that's where I started in, um, in, as I said before, in QA and then in project management and then senior project management. I then uh, moved on to Electronic Arts in Madrid, uh, where I stayed for quite a while, and I moved up through the ranks of management, et cetera. And um, that's really sort of the overview. Now, in terms of 
if you were to say to me what makes gaming and gaming localization different from uh, uh, localization, it's basically it's a niche within a niche. So localization, as people may or may not know, is very a very specialized um, industry or area of the industry. And then if you add gaming on top of that, that makes it an extremely narrow but very interesting focus. I guess probably as well what I would say, and especially for maybe for people who are starting their career in localization, I mean, what the one thing that I really liked about video game localization is the relaxed um, attitude. Now, when I say relaxed attitude, it doesn't mean that you ha don't have to work because in video games, there are, there are peaks and valleys and you have to work very, very hard on, on the, during those times. But at the same time, usually you have a, uh, a lot of uh, laid back uh, people and you also just have um, a company where flexibility works both ways. And I have to say as well, just because um, it is true as well, in Vistatech, I have found the same kind of, of feeling. And that's what I feel makes my job in Vistatech also rewarding. Um, then in terms of, in terms of uh, the gaming side, so just because I haven't mentioned this before, so. I, most of my career was spent on the client side, so I was actually in an internal localization team, which obviously is slightly different to the model that, that we offer here at Vistatech. Um, however, internally, you always have your stakeholders, you always have the, the product teams that you need to, to partner with and deliver. Um, so then in terms of digital goods, I did at sort of at the tail end of my, of my time with EA, I also worked with the internal marketing teams there to try and, and partner and get them the best quality localization, but also with that local marketing uh, glow um, for all of their localization products, whether it be web, web pages, campaigns, et cetera. Excellent. I, I kind of got a feeling there that you've, you've summarized that quite well. I'm sure that was a very hectic time, particularly uh, you mentioned some of the brands in the, in the gaming sector. You know, I mean, if you think about some of the game releases um, in this day and age, they're bigger than some Hollywood movie releases now, aren't they? So it's a, that's a very fast paced uh, area to be involved in for sure. Yeah. Um, so look, could you, thank you very much for sharing that, uh, Fikra. Can you maybe expand for our listeners on the role that you have today though, because you're sort of the, the, the project management operations director at Vistatech, which is a senior role uh, throughout the company. And I know you look after um, very, very large global accounts. And uh, maybe just could you unpack a little bit for us about what, what a role like that entails and kind of what, what's involved? Sure. So when I took on this role nearly two years ago, um, I basically came in and I wanted to... I guess without sounding boastful, I wanted to share the expertise that I'd acquired on the client side and try and expand it uh, outside of the world of, of video games as well. Um, as you've mentioned, Simon, I do have the honor and privilege of working with uh, some of the top brands, um, house, almost house, household brands that people would know. Um, and but what I try and do, as I tell my team, so project management can be as basic or as complex as you want. What I tell my team is there are two fundamentals, flawless delivery and also excellent customer relationship. So what I try and do with my team, which is one of the larger teams, I would say, if I'm not wrong, in Vistatech, is um, we try and focus on those two things, really, which is 
whatever the, the client throws at us, to use that expression, or whatever that the client um, asks us to, to do, then we basically do it. And in an ideal situation, we would have predictability and visibility in terms of what's coming down the pipeline, um, what the expectations are. Um, as we know, we all live in the real world and it doesn't necessarily happen that way. So really we have to deliver no matter what. Um, we have to deliver whether it's a flawless execution or whether um, the client suddenly has an urgent uh, request that we need to deliver. And particularly with one of our, our, our larger brands, um, they are very, very focused on quality. Therefore, my team and obviously, uh, you know, we, we project the, the one of the accounts, we also have quality specialists there. So it's, it's a collective effort, I just want to say that. Um, but we are really, really focused on flawless delivery, but also excellent quality and also just delivering what the, the client needs. Excellent. And uh, yeah, that flawless delivery that, that you're talking about there, it's so important. And it reminds me of how particularly over the last period of time that we've all been going through with the global pandemic, how flawless, flawless delivery uh, quality but also agility and this fast-paced requirement to make changes in lots of brands. It's been a sort of a three-way mix, hasn't it? It's, it's sort of like we need it now, we need it at speed, but the quality must be high. And I also want flawless, flawless delivery. Like there are no exceptions there really for some of these top global brands. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so thank you uh, for sharing that. So can we talk a little bit about communication now? Because obviously you've mentioned teams and people and it's a team effort. And obviously, effective communication for, for any type of project management is important. You've sort of touched on how you have to listen to the client's needs. And then, of course, you've got to communicate with various teams, departments, I'm sure lots of different stakeholders internally and externally. So what are your thoughts on effective communication for, for somebody in a, a role such as yourself or for anybody who was thinking about getting started in the, the, the world of uh, project management? Yes, so you're totally right, Simon. Commun effective communication and optimal communication are one of the key assets uh, that you would need as a project manager. Whether you are basically on the vendor side, the client side, what you want is you want somebody who will listen to you, understand and get what your brand is, is all about, um, what the actual project's framework is, and what are the priorities. Now, obviously, we all know that everything can't be a priority. However, as, you, as you've touched on before, uh, for, for most, most people, and especially the, the, the bigger brands of this world, they want perfection or as close to perfection as possible. And part of that, as a project manager, you have to um, be intuitive and you also have to listen, especially, especially at first, you have to listen a lot. You have to almost um, put yourself or be empathetic and put yourself in the shoes of your client, whether they're an external client, like the model that we use in Vistec or, or, or internal, like uh, I had previously in my career, you really need to sort of bond with that person. And that's, that's sort of the initial uh, thing. And then obviously at all stages of the project, you need to also, it's not just about, you know, regular calls uh, or Zooms. It's not just about emails, but it's also about making sure that both parties know what um, what to expect and what they need from each other, because it's, it's like a symbiotic right, relationship. Um, the same way a localization project manager can deliver very good results, 
However, the client obviously then needs to provide the, the minimum uh, that we would need. And probably in our line of, of, of business, it's really it's that predictability and visibility, especially in terms of what kind of workload is coming down the pipeline. Now, as I said before, you can't always get that kind of predictability and visibility. And here at Visitech, we are very flexible and we also we put a big focus on scalability of our model to, to meet um, unexpected needs. But at the same time, if you if there's a failure in communication, then um, you can pretty much sometimes just write off the, the general experience. So communication, yet again, is absolutely key. OK, thank you, uh, Fikri. I just want to expand on that question a little bit, if I can, because, mm -hmm. you know, you're talking about some of the keys there to providing this world class project management. Uh, but I'm interested in maybe some of the expectations uh, you mentioned some of the expectations you know that people want are extremely high mm. and you know particularly for core areas of importance for some of these global brands has that changed in recent times is it the same as it's always been is the standard of quality getting higher and higher like what are your views on that so the it, it, it depends on the brand so in my experience some brands start off with extremely high quality expectations anyway and therefore you wouldn't really see a lot of a lot of, of uh, variance there it's also true as well that some brands it, you know it's like the famous pyramid we have the quality time and money um, and therefore some people start off with one one side of the triangle which is quality and one of our top brands definitely is all about quality there are other brands who they may not have such an extensive budget for localization and therefore they usually start off with time um, and and or, and or money. Now, it's also true that in Visitech, like in any localization project management organization that's worth its salt, part of the localization project manager's job is to is to explain the the balance between those three, um, the same way that it is very hard to achieve uh, and very expensive to achieve 100% quality all the time. Um, some brands can afford it, some can't, but then it's also the project manager's role to find the right balance for the client. And therefore, and that's that, that's where I, there's, a, there's a term that I know it's overused these days, but I really put a lot of store in it, it's partnership. So whether you're an internal um, team or whether you're an external team, you really have to move away, I believe, from the transactional to the partnership. You have to, basically think of what is the best, if, if I were in my client's shoes, what would I want um, and how can I achieve that? Yeah, I think moving away from transactional to partnership really is key, isn't it? And I know a lot of the, the brands that you deal with have been very long-term customers mm. who continue to grow. And that's, that's, a, that's a really, really good point, uh, that sort of long-term partnership, isn't it? Mm. Um, so, so can I just ask you a little bit about um, the, 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 the translation and localization side of things? And my question really is this, Fikra, you know, how important do you think it is now that we talk more about global content solutions as opposed to just simply talking about localization and translation? Yes. No, very good question. And actually, it ties in nicely to what I was mentioning about partnership. I mean, for me, and I'll expand on this, but the bottom line for me is you, it would be extremely hard, if not impossible, to achieve that kind of partnership that I was describing in my last answer without a global content solution. Um, 
And if you want to sort of, for me to use the transactional versus the partnership thing again, if we talk about simple localization or translation, that is transactional. Now it is true that sometimes you will, we will have clients who don't necessarily have a constant or big um, need for localized or reviewed volumes. And therefore, you know what, that the transactional model probably works for them. However, with most, if not all of our, of our clients, especially the bigger brands of this world, they are generating an awful amount of content in their original language, um, which usually, I mean, uh, with, with the, the world of the way it is today, it's usually in English. So it's, um, and therefore, in my experience, if you do not have a global content solution, then you're missing out on a lot. You're missing out on the partnership, but then you're also missing out on, for example, if you have a partnership with a localization vendor, uh, as I said before, whether external or internal, so that symbiotic relationship really actually does uh, shine through. And how does that shine through? Because if you have a global content solution, then you're actually creating a common corporate culture in a way. Um, and that, that can go from, say, marketing um, content. As we know, marketing content is probably one of the trickiest um, areas of content to get right. Why? Because it's not just simple translation. Um, what works, say, in marketing copy in English, if you just do a simple translation of that into, say, French, then you are going to lose that, ma that marketing magic. And therefore, there we sort of move more into the almost the world of transcreation, which is it's not just a question of translation, it's a question of, of culturalizing that content for the right market. Now, of course, that's, that's just talking about country for country, but also, as we know, each brand has their own sort of spin on how they want to position their product. And that's where, if you have a true partnership through the Global Content Solutions, you can actually provide that. And it's also, the other point as well that I'd like to make on this is that in Vistatech, we are very much about requesting a seat at the table. Why, why do we do that? Because we also believe that we have an added value as experts. So as we know, um, consulting with experts brings a very big added value to your business. And therefore we just so happen to be localization and translation experts. And therefore, if we do have a long-term relationship, which is broader than just a transactional, we can also then advise our client brands, how best to go about whether it's review, translation, etc. So for me, if you have a constant sort of feed of volume that you need to get out to the global market, you need to go with global content solutions. Thank you very much indeed, uh, Fikra, for, for sharing that knowledge with us. Um, so I suppose as we we're come, we're sort of coming towards the end of our time here today, but I wanted to squeeze in a few more questions if I can. And I wanted to ask you about the period of time that we, we're all working through, you know, particularly when it comes to remote working, home working. It's a topic on everybody's agenda. It's in all the media. Um, first of all, has remote working made any difference to your organization, your departments around the world? Uh, do you think it, it will make a, a difference in the future? Or is it just business as usual for you? What are your thoughts on this whole remote working, hybrid working phenomenon? Okay, so one thing that, uh, that I would like to, to, to say is that even before um, the, the pandemic hit us and obviously forced us almost to change the way we work, in Investitech and especially in the brands that I basically work with, we already had a follow the sun model. Um, this, 
as it, it does what it says on the tin. So follow the sun effectively means that we can actually match the global reach of our client brands and we can actually continue a 24 hour cycle um, around the world. And in my particular case, I have teams in the Americas, I have teams in Europe and I have teams in Asia. Um, I guess probably the biggest impact that I have seen is that before um, COVID came along, I almost had a hybrid, hybrid solution, which whereby we, I had teams that were already fully remote, but I also had a core team that wasn't. And before, say about two years ago, 100% of the headquarters based team were actually all office uh, people. Obviously what we had to do, like pretty much any other company in, in, our, in, in, well, in the world, is we had to let go of that concept and adapt to that. And what has happened, at least in, in my office bound team to call it that way, is that we have, we have actually, uh, you know, because we continue to grow and continue to expand um, with our, our long partnership with the, the brands, we have actually started to, to also hire remote workers outside of what, what in our case would be the Dublin area. Um, and what I would say as well is obviously it's a bit, as you said, it's a, it's a, it's a topic in everybody's mind. So the hybrid working and returning to work, I would say that it's apart from that, it's going to be business as usual. I mean, our model is very, has been very resilient to remote working just because it was the way that we, we had already had it set, set up. Um, therefore, while people will be looking forward to seeing their colleagues back at work in terms of the actual delivering our optimal uh, services to clients. Um, it hasn't really made a difference. And I don't expect it to make much of a difference. Very interesting. Thank you. Um, so look, we've covered an awful lot there about your, your, your past experiences. And, you know, hopefully we've shared some uh, insight into the, uh, the wonderful world of all the areas that you're involved in in, in VistaTech. Outside of work, Firka, can I just maybe finish off with asking you outside of work? What about interests, hobbies? What do you enjoy doing when you're not uh, deep in this uh, world that we've been describing so far? Yeah. Well, uh, as, I, as I mentioned before, so when I have the time, um, I do still enjoy a gaming session now and again. Obviously, um, I don't have the time. And then as age catches up with you, your reflexes, your hand-to-eye coordination starts to go a bit. So I just can't compete anymore with the, the young crowd. But still, I like to put my, my, my hat in the ring. Um, then apart from that, I'm also quite a bit of a sports um, fanatic. So I, I run, I go to the gym, I play a Latin American sport called paddle, which is not very really well known outside, but it's a, a mix between squash and tennis. And then I have been known to do martial arts uh, in the past. Uh, I'm probably getting a bit to uh, my peak there as well. And then apart from that, I also, I'm, I, I'm a history buff. I love um, history. Any kind of history is, uh, is a good book for me to, to sit down and, uh, and enjoy. Um, and I think that's, yeah, that's pretty much uh, covers all my, or the main um, outside yeah. interests. I mean. but that's about everything you can fit in by the sound <laughs> of it. Yeah, yeah. No, exactly. fantastic. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. Well, listen, um, that kind of brings us to the end of today's discussion. Uh, I really do appreciate you taking some time out of your busy uh, work schedule to uh, join us here on Vista Talk. So thank you, Fikra. Thanks, Simon.
Uh, look, that's the end of today's show, everybody, uh, with Fia Krasinit, the Project Management Operations Director here at Vistatech. So please make sure to tune in again to see and or listen to the next episode of Vista Talks, where once again, we hope to be discussing more interesting topics with interesting people from all around. Thank you, Fia. Thank you.